You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Beginning in verse 3. It says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone or publicly execute such a woman. So what do you say? Verse 6. They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. They continued to ask him, and he stood and said to them, let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. Once more, they bent down, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood and said to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I came to tell you this morning when it comes to marriage, gender, and sexuality, we must be unconditional in our love for people while remaining unwavering in our loyalty to God's word. The title of this message this morning is Strengthening the Foundations of Our Faith, Marriage, Gender, and Sexuality. Let's pray. So Lord, I pray right now, we declare that your word is true in every man's a liar. Someone hold your, your Bible up right now. We declare your Bible is the highest authority. We declare right now it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, I pray right now that you would breathe upon your Logos word. I pray it would become revelation, rhema right now. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Father, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, we do not make room for you, but we give you the entire room. So we say every other spirit, you must go. We say right now, fear, you must go. We say right now, confusion, you must go. We say spirit of religion, you must go. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we say right now, Holy Spirit, we don't make room for you, but we give you the entire room. Father, I thank you. No one came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Chris, if I could have a little more in the monitors, that'd be fantastic. We are stewarding a prophetic word on dunamis, where the Lord said that this year was a year of dunamis, that we would strengthen and fortify our faith. Dunamis is when the Holy Spirit's power goes from resting on you to in you. So this entire year, we've been teaching on topics of fortifying our faith. We talked on the authority of Scripture. We've talked on eschatology. Who is Jesus? Who is the Father? Who is the Holy Spirit? And today, we're just hitting three soft issues, light issues, on Mary gender, and sexuality. And, and I figured we would just go after all of them today. But before I begin, I just want to give a caution. We put this out on social media and on text message. Uh, and if you, there's children in the room, there will be mature content today. Uh, the children's ministry will not turn away any children. We've made extra room. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to be addressing very mature issues. So this is your last warning to put your kids in children's church or if you need to remove them from the service. Um, because I'm going to be handling mature biblical content. And I just want to give parents a warning before we engage. Amen. There's two people I'm talking to and preaching to today. The first is those that are struggling with sexual sin or 
all kinds of sin. And here's what I would tell you. Romans 5 tells us why we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So here's what I wanna let you know. Despite what you're struggling with, despite who you're attracted to, despite your temptations, I wanna let you know that we love you, that God loves you, and that you are welcome at Mercy Culture Church. Can I get an amen? And that Jesus came to save you and us for your sins. He died for heterosexual sinners and homosexual sinners. The second group of people I'm talking to today are Christ followers. And if you're a Christ follower, you need to know this today. You need to know what the greatest commandment is as you follow Christ. Matthew 22, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, spirit, your strength. Everything you got, you love God. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. But the greatest commandment is to love God. And I've seen this problem in the church that people have tried to love people rather than loving God first. And it's caused them to create a, a theology from empathy rather than a theology from sound doctrine and scripture. So you have to prioritize your love. Second part of what Christians need to know today is that not only do you need to know the greatest commandment, but you need to understand what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, and it's not to pack out stadiums or to build churches. The Great Commission is to go out into all the world, making disciples, and watch this. It should be up on the screen behind me. Teaching them to obey. The Great Commission is teaching people to obey. Obey what? God's Word. It's the infallible guide. And so you are actually not a, a dedicated Christ follower if you are not actively trying or purposefully obeying God. Now, I know there's a few people and there's definitely people online that are like, why is he talking about this? Who is he to talk about these issues? And I'd like to let you know just kindly and humbly, it's my job. As a pastor, it is my job to teach you what the Bible says. Just like we talk about faith, just like we talk about giving, just like we talk about submission, just like we talk about holiness, all of these topics, this is my job. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove or correct, rebuke, that means honor, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Someone say, preacher, do your job. I want you to know, we love everyone, but we change God's standards for no one. Now, some of you will have a hard time with this message, and there's multiple reasons. Some of you are spiritually immature, some of you are lukewarm and living in compromise, and some of you love the things of the world more than you love the things of God. Some of you are more loyal to your culture than you are God's Word. And you will have a hard time with this. It's like when um, we're, we're building the Justice Residence and we're building it on our property and we've gotten just insane demonic resistance from people that live in that neighborhood. And I said about a year ago, there's demonic people in that neighborhood and there's some people in our church that got upset with me. And your gossip gets back to me and so I heard what you said. And, and, and people said stuff like, well, pastor, that was mean or harsh. And I didn't like how that came out. I didn't like how that sounded. And, and, and it's funny because a couple weeks ago, one of the, our members in that neighborhood sent me a picture of a seance that a witch did on their porch at night with feces and blood. Where there's witches and warlocks that live in the neighborhood that are actually doing seances on the porches of people that go to our church. See, see you thought I wasn't being nice when I was talking to demons. 
And people forget about the Jesus that flipped over tables. They forget about the Jesus that said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. You're an offense unto me. Listen, it is not not being kind to a person. I'm not talking to people. I'm talking to devils. And some of you are trying to counsel out devils. Well, can't we just make, make peace with demons? Go for it. Let me know how it works for you. So the challenge is, is that spiritual warfare, we're dealing with spirits while we have to engage with people. So it's this sensitive issue that has to be done biblically. You ready to go? We're gonna talk about marriage. Here we go. God made man. God made marriage. God made sexuality. Here, your pastor today. All things inside God's design or purpose brings life. But all things outside God's design and purpose brings death. Mercy Culture's marriage statement is too long to read publicly, but it's on our website. You can go read it at any time. I would, I would warn you, if people aren't clear about their marriage statements, you should be cautious about their ministries. Here's a portion of it. Holy matrimony or marriage is a spiritual concept designed, defined, and created by God as a covenant union between one man and one woman for life. Watch this. You ready? You ready? The Bible begins and ends with marriage. Genesis 1 starts with marriage. Revelations 22 is about a groom coming back for his bride. This is wild. Watch this. Marriage was founded and created by God. This is beautiful. He made the world. He made mankind. Then he made marriage in that order. It's pretty important. He made the world, he made man, and he made marriage. Marriage is a wonderful, beautiful thing founded by God in creation. We see in marriage, it is a covenant or it's a spiritual promise. Marriage reflects, uh, reflects the covenantal relationship between God and Israel. We see many scriptures that point to this. Isaiah 54 is one where it says, for your maker is your husband. We see marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church. Marriage is a picture of the Holy Trinity. Just like you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have man, woman, and God. Paul describes marriage as a great mystery as he talks about Christ's relationship with the church. We see God's blessing is on marriage. Genesis 1.28 said God blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply. Part of that blessing is having children. God says this, that children are a gift or a godly heritage, Psalms 127 says. Then when it's talking about this union, it uses the phrase one flesh. Someone say one flesh. One flesh is a spiritual term for sex. Matthew 19 says this, Jesus answered, I have, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning both made male and female? He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Someone say one flesh. They are no longer two, but they are one. One flesh is the spiritual and physical uniting as one in unity with the Lord. Sex is designed to be enjoyed. Can I get an amen? amen. All the married couples say amen. 
All the single people say, wait on the Lord. He shall renew your strength. Proverbs 5.18 says, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice or enjoy the wife of your youth. The message says it like this. Bless your fresh flowing fountain. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit, quit taking delight in her body. I quote this to Heather all the time. Everybody wants a Proverbs 31 woman. I just want a Proverbs 5 woman. We'll take that every... Don't get it twisted. No, 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 no. She's, she, 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 she loves me. I'm turning 40, but I still got it. And you can ask her the truth. Tell the truth, shame the devil. She kissed me first. That's for a different sermon. It's for a different sermon. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, do not deprive one another except by agreement for a limited time. Someone say limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is important what I'm about to tell you right here. Sex inside biblical marriage is blessed. And all sex outside of biblical marriage is sin. I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna preach to somebody today. Sex inside biblical marriage is blessed. All sex outside of biblical covenant marriage is sin. That means when you're living together and shacking up, it's sin. That means when you're friends with benefits, it's sin. That means you pretend that you're spirit-filled living for God on Sunday, but then Friday and Saturday, you're living like the world, it's sin. Your profile says child of God, but your pictures say fornicate here, it's sin. I'm gonna say it again for the people that aren't getting what I'm throwing. All sex outside of biblical marriage is sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And we have a lot of church folk that are living in sin. And we've lost our voice to the gay community because of the homosexual or the hypocrisy of the heterosexuals in church. You've been trying to talk about someone's plank or speck in their eye when you got your own plank in yours. Do you know that 86% of abortions come from unmarried women? 86%. Literally, the wages of sin is death. So let's talk about gay marriage for a second. God created and defined marriage. And no man can redefine what God originally defined. So watch, something could be legal in America and not lawful in the kingdom of God. And despite what corrupt lawmakers make laws in America, the highest authority does not make it legal. It is not lawful in the kingdom of God. Now, again, I want to say this just so everyone's clear. We love you no matter what you're struggling with. But we're going to preach the Bible. So let me ask this question I get all the time. Should a Christian attend a gay wedding? And the answer is no. 
When you go to a wedding, you stand as a witness and say yes and amen. When you go to a wedding, you are there as a witness with your support. And there's a lot of individuals that think that they are supporting people, but as they're, in, as they're trying to support people, they're actually turning their back on God's word. So you say, pastor, that's easy for you to say, but I got a son or I got a daughter, or I got a family member and this thing's hard and this thing's real. And I understand, but Jesus said, who's your father? Who's your mother? Who's your sister? Who's your brother? Watch, you have to be willing to give up everything. Now listen, just because you say, I'm not going to say yes and amen to your sinful lifestyle does not mean you have to turn your back on a loved one that you love. So I would encourage you to go have a time with the Holy Spirit and ask him, how do I love well this person in my life while not affirming this relationship of sin that they're involved in? Part two, let's talk about homosexuality. There's three mistakes the church is making when it comes to homosexual practice and the church. The first mistake the church is making is they're making it the greatest sin. And church, homosexual practice is not the greatest sin. Pride is. Isaiah says, oh, how you've fallen from heaven, O morning star. Pride is the reason why Satan fell from heaven. Proverbs 6 says there's six things the Lord hates. Seven is abomination to him. One of those is haughty eyes or prideful eyes. We know the greatest temptations man will, will experience is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride is the greatest sin. James says it like this. It says God opposes the proud. And the Greek that word opposes means the tip of a spear. So what the Bible is saying is when you are living in pride, you are on the opposite side of warfare as God. So it is not the greatest sin, pride is. But it is interesting that pride is the slogan of the gay community. And next month they try to call it Pride Month and get everybody to participate. And they put rainbows everywhere, it's wild. They put rainbows as their slogan or as their banner. When in Genesis chapter six, God punished the earth with a flood. He judged the earth and asked his sign that there would not be global judgment until the great white throne of judgment, he put a rainbow in the sky. So every time you see the rainbow on a pin or on a tattoo or on a bumper sticker or on something Disney. It is a mockery of God. Pride is the greatest sin. I remember for years I'd go to the Castro District in San Francisco and just pray. The Castro District is really one of the epicenters of the gay community and gay rights in America. And uh, it's, it's pretty wild at night. During the day, it's pretty wild. And they have this giant... Uh, flag that hangs in the middle of the Castro district. It's this huge, huge, huge rainbow flag. And I went there one time and I, I, I was laying hands and I was praying in the Holy Ghost and I'm, I'm praying for the gay community. And I, and I look up and as I look up, I see the flag waving and I hear the voice of God speak to me and he says, my rainbow hangs higher. And here's what you need to understand is despite anyone's attempts to mock God, God has the final say. His authority is higher. His grace is higher. His mercy is higher. His ways are higher. His truth is higher. Amen? Second mistake the church is making is not addressing it. I call it being scared speechless. This is the response of the cowards. 
And church, Christianity is no place for cowards. Look at Revelations chapter 21, put it up on the screen. It's a list of a bunch of things of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the very first thing on the list is the cowardly. What are you gonna do when the antichrist comes and says you have to get the mark and you're so afraid of not being able to buy something that you rush to get the mark. You are first to sell your soul are the cowards. And we're doing it now already. We're afraid of what they'll call us. We're afraid of what they'll think about us. We're afraid they'll call us names. We're afraid that they'll, they'll, they'll mock us. They're afraid that, they'll, that, they'll, that we'll be judgmental or unloving or whatever they say. And here's what you need to understand is this is not personal. This is spiritual. In fact, scripture says, not only will you be persecuted, but you will be blessed because of it. Matthew 5, 11 says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, fault, say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. Church, you need to understand, they are not rejecting you. They are rejecting God and his word. If I would have wrote a book that say you could be a gay Christian, I would have been on every single talk show there was to be on and it would be a global bestseller. But because I said what the Bible says, I'm a hateful bigot. You're gonna be hated and it has nothing to do with you. So if you wanna be loved, then sell ice cream and tell people what they wanna hear. If you want to be used of God, then share God's truth. Amen? Amen? Number three, and this is the greatest mistake in my opinion, is the church is beginning to affirm it. Isaiah 520 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. As I was writing my book, Gay Awareness, I met a girl who lived the gay lifestyle for many years. This was before uh, gay marriage. And so she wasn't able to get married. But if there was gay marriage, she would have been married. And every Thanksgiving and Christmas and holiday, she would bring her girlfriend over to her mom's house and her mom was a Christian and her mom loved her well, but would never affirm the relationship. She would never call her girlfriend her girlfriend ever. She only called her girlfriend her friend. And she loved them well, but stood her ground and would not affirm it. And she told me, she said, Landon, if my mom ever affirmed it, I would probably still be in the lifestyle this day. And a lot of people, you think that you are loving people well, but you have to turn your back on God's word to affirm their sin. The greatest commandment is to love God first, love people second. But you're seeing this affirmation that comes and the affirmation is because people have replaced repentance with tolerance. And nowhere in the Bible does the Bible ever tell you to tolerate sin. In some way, we've been, in, we, we've been lied to that tolerance is some kind of virtue. Tolerance is not a virtue. In fact, in Revelations chapter 2, the Bible says you have tolerated this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, who, who takes my people into sexual perversions. In fact, the Bible tells us, watch this, to not tolerate sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 says this, I wrote to you in my letter, do not associate with sexually immoral people. Verse 13, God judges those outside, but remove the evil person from among you. Anywhere that you see tolerance preached, you will see sexual perversion celebrated. And now what we've seen is entire denominations have become abominations where they have turned their back on God's word. It's quiet in here. 
They're hanging rainbows all around their churches. And the entire denominations now are biblical abominations. They are no longer Christian churches that teach Jesus. They are universalists that, that, that teach there's any way you can go to God. We're all God's children and everybody makes it to heaven. He's so loving. They throw out truth. They throw out repentance. They throw out hell. They throw out the word of God. Here's what they've thrown out. Romans chapter one gives us a strong warning. I'll read this in the Amplified. Romans 1.32 says this, although they know God's righteous decrees and his judgment, that those who do such things deserve death, yet not only those that do them, but even enthusiastically approve or tolerate others who practice them. Romans 1, and I'm gonna share this in a moment, speaks to homosexual behavior and practice. But then at the end of the chapter, it warns those that are approving of it. And some of you have thought that you've been loving to people by approving it, and it's caused you to turn your back on God's word. Church, this is so important. 31,000 scriptures, not one affirms it. Nowhere, Jesus Paul, a disciple, a prophet, no one. Moses, Abraham, not one scripture. 31,000 scriptures, not one affirms it. And if you want a scripture that will affirm homosexual practice, you must close your holy Bible, you open up a satanic Bible, and you will find reference after reference in the satanic Bible that will affirm your sexual desires. It's pretty wild when a denomination's Bible lines more with the church of Satan than the Holy Bible. This is what we're living in today. So let me ask this question. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? 31,000 scriptures, not one supports it. All scriptures speak to how a man should treat a wife, a husband to a wife, and there are six primary scriptures that speak to homosexual practice. In my book, I outline them in detail. I talk about all the arguments that are against them, the common arguments, the misunderstanding, how the gay activists have tried to take, twist scripture and manipulate scripture. I unpack it all. I do not have time to do that today. I just wanna quickly go over these six references quickly. The first is found, there's three in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament. The first one in the Old Testament is in Genesis 19. It's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom was a, was a wicked city. It's actually where we get the word sodomy from. And in Genesis chapter 19, God sent angels in the form of man to visit Lot, Abraham's nephew. They come to the city and the men of the city start pounding on the door, demanding to have sex with the angels that they think are men. And this is a common custom in, this, in the city of Sodom. And this is why God destroyed the entire city. Jude 1 warns us that it was because of their grotesque immorality that God destroyed the city. So it was the sin of homosexual practice that was unrepented for why God destroyed the city of Sodom. The second is in Leviticus 18. It's where we see it's an abomination. It says in verse 22, you shall not lie with a man as you do a woman. It is an abomination. What is an abomination? We get in the Hebrew, the word te'eba, which means a disgusting thing or something abominable. We could summarize this to say simplified, it's a great sin. 
Now, I want to be very careful because if there's someone struggling with same-sex attraction, I'm not calling you disgusting. I'm teaching you what the Bible says about this practice. It calls it a great sin or an enheightened sin. Now, homosexual practice is not the only abomination mentioned in Scripture. Proverbs 6 says your gossip's an abomination. Read all throughout Proverbs. It says crooked business guys. If you're not honest with your wages, it's an abomination. So there are many abominations, but it does still mean it's a great sin. The third one mentioned is in Leviticus 20, where we find the law. Leviticus 20, 13 says this. If a man lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Excuse me. If a man lies with a male as he does a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. So I want to stop right here because people love to say, well, we're not under the law. And that's usually a rebellious person that doesn't want to do something that God's word says. So usually when you don't want to tithe and you're greedy, you say something like we're not under the law. But I've noticed that no one says that about murder. Or we're not under the law. You don't say that about cheating on your wife. I'm not under the law. No, they say it when they're trying to get out of a biblical responsibility. And in Leviticus 20, people all, all the time try to mock the scripture. And they're like, well, do you eat lobster? Because also in the laws, you're not supposed to eat shellfish or wear mixed patterns. So I hope you're keeping all the law. And what they try to do is they're trying to look down or mock God's word. And they don't understand the difference between cultural practices of Jews that Gentiles are not held to or had to adhere in the New Testament. And cultural prohibitions that are for all people everywhere in all times. So there are certain things of the law that are for all people, all times, everywhere. How do you know what the difference is? Because in the New Testament, it tells us. Acts chapter 15 brings clarity. In verse 28, it says this, For it has seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit to, to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what is sacrificed from idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. So the Bible in the New Testament gives clarity to these prohibitions for all people everywhere. We see three more in the New Testament to make up our six. The next one is found in Romans chapter one. It's God's wrath against a sinful humanity. It says this in verse 24, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires, their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's so important. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to what he calls their shameful lusts. Even women exchanged natural sexual relationships for unnatural lesbian ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust from one another. They committed shameful acts each man received for themselves the penalty of their error. 28 is very important. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Church, we have a mental illness epidemic in America. It's a pandemic. And the reason why is because it's not a mental illness problem. It's a debased mind problem. A debased mind in the Greek means this. A mind that only can think of evil things so evil becomes their reality. 
evil becomes their reality where they think what they're doing is true. They think what they're doing is right. The only way they know how to think is by thinking evil things. It is not following the science anymore because the new statistics defy science. It's now what the world would call a social contagion. Put that graph up. This is what we're seeing right now of recent statistics of the LGBTQ community in our, church, or in, in our world. That it has gone from rapid growth statistics because of this debased mind. It's increased in millennials by almost uh, 80% in the last eight years. By Gen Z's in two years by 20%. This is the result of a debased mind. Next one. Number six. Excuse me, number five. First Corinthians chapter six speaks to sexual immorality. It says this, first Corinthians six, nine. Do you not know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men that practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor revilers or swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. They say, well, the word homosexuality or homosexual was added to the Bible in 1946, and so it's not accurate. Well, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And so if you want to take this word homosexuality that we see in our text now and break it down in the Greek, it's the word malakos and arsetikodai, which means two males that are soft in bed together. One is the giver, one is the receiver. It's two men in bed sexually with each other is what the scripture is talking about. So you can throw out whatever word you want. You can use whatever word you want to describe. It's talking about the action of homosexual practice. And the Bible says that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But let me show you my favorite part of this. It's in verse 11. It says this, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says you were. You say, Pastor, do you have to deal with this all your life? Absolutely not. Scripture says that in Christ you're made new. You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We serve a God of life-giving power. Can I get an amen? amen? The final one, number six, is false teachers. First Timothy 1, 7 says this, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things in which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for just those lawless or the disobedient, but for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those that strike their fathers and mothers and murder and the sexually immoral, or those that practice homosexuality. Then 
slavers, the liars, the perjurers, or whatever else that's contrary to sound doctrine. Church, this is the greatest caution I have right now in the body of Christ is the caution of false teachers. And I want to warn you to be careful of false teachers. First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy 4, 3 says this, For a time will come where people will no longer put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires and they will gather around them, look at this, a great number of celebrity pastors that will say what their itching ears want to hear. And let me just stop for a second and don't, don't complain about the celebrity pastors when you are their retweeting, reposting audience. Just recently right here in Dallas, there was a preacher in a church that got up on a worship night and said publicly that two men can love each other and two women can love each other and who's the church to tell you who you can love. In fact, if they try to tell you who you can't love, it's blasphemous against the Holy Spirit and it's absolute heresy what they said. That leader is an apostate. What is an apostate? It's someone that switches sides in mid-battle. And the week after that statement, they took the scripture off their website that we believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. Because that's the natural reaction. When you don't believe God's words, you don't believe what the word of God says, all of a sudden you begin to reject the faith. This is a warning right now. You need to stop following false teachers and preachers that are telling the world what they want to hear or what their itching ears want to hear. You see this constantly. Well, pastors will get up and they're like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. The Bible says this and God's so mean and, and I don't understand and I wish you could be whatever gender you want. I wish you could do whatever you want. I wish you could sleep with whatever you want. And, and if I was in charge, I'd just let you be as perverted as you want to be. And we're so sorry and I want to apologize and you know, in the Bible and he's a mean God and this is what he says. And, and you know, I, I'm just so sorry as he was suspended between heaven and earth, suffering and bleeding for your sins and mine. I'm so sorry that Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you can be delivered and have new life in Christ Jesus, that the wages of sin were death in Hades, but the new life in Jesus came through Jesus' suffering. I am so sorry. Church, hear me today. We have nothing to apologize for in scripture. His ways are higher than our ways. His, his ways are higher. He knows more. Watch, he is God, we are not. Who are we to tell the God that created everything how he should lead in creation? So let me ask this final question with homosexuality. Can you be a great gay Christian? And I emphatically reject the category. There's no such thing as gay Christians. If you're trying to manipulate all of us and say something like, can you struggle with the same sex attraction and be a follower of Jesus? Well, you could be tempted by anything and be a follower of Jesus. But if you want us to say yes so that you can say so I could be in a monogamous committed relationship and I could identify with what the Bible doesn't identify with and then I could affirm in my life what the Bible doesn't affirm, the answer is no. 
There's not divorced Christians, there's not perverted Christians, there's not adulterous Christians, there's not gay Christians, they're not heterosexual Christians, there's one kind. It's the kind that deny themselves, that pick up a cross and follow Jesus. There's one kind. Chris, I need more on this monitor. Part three, let's talk about gender. Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. God created him male and female. He created them. It's wild that we can't get past Genesis one. There are two genders created by God, male and female. We don't choose, God chose for us. Watch this. Genesis 2, 7 says this, for God formed man from the dust to the ground. That word formed in the Hebrew is the word yaritz, which means this, to hold a form or to be fashioned from the potter or determined the purpose. This is beautiful. So Jeremiah 1, 5 says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Psalms 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Watch, he formed you with a purpose. Every man has a purpose. Every woman has a purpose. It's God's purpose in the earth. This is so important. Please hear what I'm about to tell you. The attack on gender is a demonic attack on the image of God in man through creation. He attacks in the womb he attacks when they're out of the womb. If he can't get them while they're in the womb, he will start trying to destroy them when they get out of the womb. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. I believe the enemy doesn't care if you're gay or straight. I believe he doesn't care if you struggle with heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. If you struggle with pride or unbelief or lack of faith or perversion of any kind of transgender, multigender, he doesn't care as long as he can separate you, watch, from the purpose of God on your life. However he can try to take you out, I believe he will. There's this thing called gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria is a mental condition, clinical condition of clinically ill people. There's many dysphorias like it. Gender dysphoria is an individual that truly believes that they are the opposite gender. They're trapped in a wrong body. There's similar dysphorias with people that believe that they're paralyzed, but they're not paralyzed. And they live their life in wheelchairs even though their legs work. There's dysphoria like this that people really, really believe that they're blind even though their eyes work. There's been cases where people have put acid in their eyes and destroyed perfectly good eyes because they really believe that they're blind. This is a medical condition. But what we're seeing in America, put that graph back up, is not a medical condition. This is what's called a social contagion. A social contagion is when something spreads so fast it defies science. What you're seeing of this mass spread of those that identify as LGBTQAI and whatever else they add to it is this, is not a natural thing. It is not natural for this thing to spread in two years to go over 
up almost 20%. It's not in Gen Z kids. It's not natural or scientific for it to go up, up almost 80% in eight years amongst millennials. In fact, I don't believe that this is a social contagion. I believe that this is a result of a spiritual war. And watch this. The tolerance of the church has led to uncontested, sinful indoctrination of our nation. We're in a spiritual ward where Pride Month has turned into a month into Pride Year, where we're seeing major stores like Target creating fashion lines, promoting all forms of sexual perversion for kids as young as three months old. If you go into Target today, they have swimsuits designed for boys that look like girls that they can tuck their penises and hide in their swimsuits. And the target where you shot, someone say indoctrination. We're seeing explicit drag shows have made their way from gay bars to family parks, schools, and libraries. Where grown men want to dress up like women and dance sexually in front of our children. Someone say no way. Elementary age children are being taught in public schools that they can choose their gender. Hollywood with their army of salesmen celebrities pushing a perverted lifestyle in every media outlet possible. TV shows now have as many trans characters as gay characters. Your friends at Disney are boldly and intentionally grooming your children to be as comfortable with perversion as possible. Major woke companies are becoming trans ambassadors. The White House and our current presidential administration is pushing this narrative from the Oval Office on a regular basis. The President of the United States said the attempts of states of manipulation of children is close to sinful. I'm going to say this again. The President of the United States said that states like Texas and Florida that are protecting children is next to sinful. Our vice president is regularly seen at pride parades dancing with men that are dressed up like women. The American Medical Association doesn't believe that gender should be assigned at birth. I'm not talking about a fringe psycho doctor in some small college that's not on the radar. I'm talking about the Medi American Medical Association. Politicians refuse to define what women are. Bathrooms and locker rooms have been hijacked. Women's sports have become a mockery by failed male athletes. Self-identifying is now costume hour. Facebook now has 71 gender options and pronouns are enforced and manipulated and weaponized in the workplace and you don't want to be too preachy I want to stop and just lovingly fatheringly correct you and you've been intimidated to be quiet because you might be uncomfortable. So for five minutes at work, you can't stand up and say what you believe, but you could sit through five-hour pronoun classes. And you're too cowardly to stand up. Let me give you some practical advice. Don't use preferred pronouns.
Well, pastor, I just want to love them. Your love is dysfunctional. It's not godly love. It's not biblical love. It's not agape love. It's not fatherly love. It's not cho choosing love. Your love is a worldly perverted love. And one of the 10 commandments for dedicated Christ followers is don't lie. And if you use their pronoun, you're a liar. Well, pastor, it might cost me your job. You'll be the first to sign up for the mark of the beast because you're cowardly now. Hold on. I love you, but you cannot be a Christian coward in this day and age. You say, pastor, you're being hard. No, you're being weak. And you've allowed the lukewarm, anti-biblical, woke church to be your denomination. And it's time to take a stand. You cannot be more cultural than you are Christian. Ah. I feel the preach coming on. Do you not realize that in SB 14, the only ones that defied it were the Democrats? Oh, see how quiet it got in the church? This is where people get mad, and this is where they want to leave, and this is where he's already talking about Republicans. No, they're evil too. But there's only one party that absolutely opposed it over and over and over. And if it wasn't for the prayers of the saints and the hard work of Nate Schatzlein and other people like him, it wouldn't have passed. Watch this. This is wild. This is wild. Hold on a second. It was demonically opposed. Hold on. Cutting off the private parts of children was opposed by your party. My God. There's a scripture that says, who's on the Lord's side? I could care less what they say about me. I really can't. I'm going to father no matter what people say. Listen, listen, hear me, hear me. I'm not a Republican. Sorry, Nate. I'm not. I'm going to back godly people that will stand for biblical values, that will stand for the fear of the Lord, that will stand for what is right. I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. Come on, I'm running out of time. Listen, I started following all the trans activists and it's wild because they said the exact same things that we were saying. We got to protect our kids. They were saying, I got to protect their kids. They were saying, we got to stand and, and fight for what's right. Listen, it's a debased mind. They really feel like cutting off the private parts of children is right. No, no, it's the debased mind. It's their reality. They really think they, they're like those hateful right-wing MAGA church guys. It's what I, I, I'm reading. Those hateful bigots, they hate us. Like, like no, I just want to look back 20 years that a kid that almost went through a procedure said that pastor fought for me. That pastor wasn't afraid of rich people leaving his church. That pastor wasn't afraid of people walking out. That pastor wasn't afraid of the lukewarm people not wanting to be political. The pastor prioritized my health. He didn't even know me, but he loved me. 
I'm telling you guys, we're coming to a place that you're not going to be popular in your friends group. We have people right now in our church that are getting called into HR departments, telling them to stop posting Mercy Culture Church or it's going to cost you your job. We have people that are getting fired from their jobs because they attend our church. It's happening right now. And guess what? I know for the Bible says that when you're persecuted, God's going to bless you. And you say this, hold on, hold on, hold on. You say, pastor, that's easy for you. Really? Don't you realize all the preachers that talk bad about me? Don't you realize all the pastors that don't like me? Don't you realize the people that don't like our church? Do you know why? Because not only do we rock the boat, we broke the boat. We are walking on water. We don't care what they say. We don't care what it costs. We are going to please God at all things possible. And in case you need to spiritually grow, I'm not saying any of this has anything to do with politics. This is Bible. But the Bible does talk about some pronouns that I want to bring to your attention. In fact, in scriptures, it uses the we pronoun. Mark chapter five, there's an individual struggling with their identity says this in verse 5, night and day among the tombs, among the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. When he saw him from afar, he ran, fell face down before him, crying with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torture me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. We are many. The we pronoun in God's word was a demon Jesus was casting out. See, some of you think that you're just engaging with people when you're really engaging with the spirit. And there is an antichrist spirit at war to destroy marriage, to destroy sexuality to destroy gender. It comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It says the opposite of what God's word says. Whatever is right, it says to do wrong. Whatever is wrong, it says what to do right. It is an author of confusion. And scripture says, put it up on the screen, that God is not the author of confusion. So this spirit, watch, this spirit says, if something in your mind is off, then change your body parts. But there's no scripture that says change your body parts if something's wrong with your mind. But there's many scriptures that says if something's wrong with your mind, you renew your mind. So here's what the Bible says. It says that we're not supposed to be transgendered. We're supposed to be transformed. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, to the culture, to its affirmation, to its tolerance. Watch, be transformed with the renewing of your mind. Hmm. See, nothing they say makes sense. Because Lady Gaga told us for 10 years that we were born that way, but now they're telling us no matter how we were born, we can choose a different way to be born. 
everything they say is confusing. See, this is why we need biblical clarity because the world says you are born this way. When God's word says you must be born again, the world says your mind will tell you what gender you are. When God's word says to renew your mind, the world says accept who you are. God's word says deny who you are. The world says you just need to be happy. God's word says just find out what pleases the Lord. Church, we need biblical clarity in a sexually confused world. Last question, Pastor Ryan, come and join me. And this is the most important question of the day. It's this. So how do we reach them? And I don't want you to be confused or misunderstand my motive today. Because I believe an unconditional love for people while remaining unwavering in our loyalty to God's word. So the question is, is how do we reach people like Jesus with grace and truth? John chapter eight is our story. In John chapter eight, you have a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. Somehow they lost track of the man, but the woman was standing there facing the consequences of it. And the Bible says that the religious community brought her before Jesus, threw her down at his feet, were threatening public execution, were trying to use God's word to manipulate, to entrap Jesus. And religion wanted to embarrass her. Religion wanted to humiliate her. Religion wanted to condemn her. Religion wanted to kill her. And Jesus wanted to save her. Scripture says he began to get down on the floor and he began to write and we don't know what he wrote. But it was so powerful as he wrote, he said, you who have no sin in your life, cast the first stone. And scripture says one by one, they started leaving from the oldest ones to the youngest one. Till when the scene was over, it was just Jesus and this broken woman. And as Jesus is at the feet of this, or this woman's at the feet of Jesus, he says to him, where are your accusers? Where are those that have condemned you? And she says, there are none. Watch this. He showed her grace. And he said, I don't condemn you either. I'm not even gonna judge you in this moment. We're saving that for another day. He just showed her mercy. Then he said to her, now darling, go and sin no more. After he showed her grace, watch, he spoke to her in truth. He said, I'm gonna save you from your sin, but I don't want you to stay in it. I want you to be free from it. And I'm gonna make sure that you don't leave my presence thinking this lifestyle is okay. That this is my best for you. Or that I will tolerate this. He said to a man at a pool called Bethesda, now go or something worse might happen to you. When Jesus encountered the sinners, he showed them such great compassion and love. And then he spoke to them in such truthful kindness. He said, go and sin no more. Church, this is our response to those that are in sexual sin. 
This is the response of gender. This is the response of sexuality. This is the response of marriage is that we must be unconditional in our love for people while remaining unwavering in our loyalty to God's word. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com.